Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm glad that uh, we have this time together. I hope you're reading through the book of Luke with us this month. And if you are, you know we're on Luke 16 today. And uh, I've not read it myself yet today. But I know that includes uh, the rich man and Lazarus. Great, uh, great passage starting in verse 19. And if you are following along and, and reading it with us, I know you're going you're gonna to learn a lot. You're going to find some beautiful things in scripture that you 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 would have missed maybe before because we're doing this together and I know Carmen and Susie are all making comments throughout their shows on it and I try to do it as well. I'll probably be a little bit sharper on chapter 17 tomorrow. Uh, it's just been one of those busy days, but it's a great. I love Mondays and we've got uh, Dr. Everett Piper coming on in just about 60 seconds. So I'm looking forward to talking to him and then John Geiger is going to be on the show as well. He wrote a book called Kids Say the Wisest Things. 26 lessons you didn't know children could teach you. Let me take a short break. I'll clear my throat and we'll get on Dr. Piper. It's a phone and I got a great deal. Um, mom, I know why. I wanted an iPhone. This is a Y phone. You never want an imitation, especially when it comes to faith and hope. So when you give a gift this month to Faith Radio, you're helping to spread truth the real version of faith and hope to families and friends longing for it this Christmas. Thank you for praying about what you can do and giving at MyFaithRadio.com. Declaring that God's love echoes in the depths of who we are. Radio, worshiping with you. My guest is Dr. Everett Piper. He's an author and columnist. He, uh, you may remember him as being the president, the former president of uh, Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He was there 17 years now he's a, a contributing columnist for the Washington Times, and he's an author of Why I Am Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas, and his viral op-ed, uh, This Is Not a Daycare, it's University, triggered into a book, and it sold a lot, and we're always glad to talk to him, and Everett, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm glad to be with you. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, I've got so many things going on right now. One of our regular listeners, Terry, said uh, he already texted me and he said, I really like hearing Dr. Everett Piper whenever he speaks. He's brilliant and one of the leading thinkers in America. His book, Not a Daycare, is a refreshing publication of truth and conviction. Well, he needs to talk to my wife, that brilliant and uh, stuff. <laughs> my wife needs to hear that, okay? <laughs> well, maybe maybe she will. And I love the fact that you, you quote uh, A.W. Pink. I, I'm a big fan of him as well. And you wrote uh, an interesting um, article on what the church does 
and how it how it uh, stems the tide of evil throughout history. Well, one of the columns I wrote, uh, that I wrote a couple of columns, though, about a month ago for the Washington Times, where I tried to go positive rather than negative, because it's so easy in our time to uh, focus on all the adversity, all of the crises, all of the negativity. And I, I can be guilty of focusing on the problem more than the solution as much as anyone. And one of the things I was trying to do is point out the fact that the church is the solution, it's not the problem. What has the church done in the face of adversity throughout the course of history? For 2,000 years, the, the church has stood against uh, the degradation of the human being. The church is the entity that stepped forward in the first century and stopped the practice of exposure. Exposure was taking infants to the local dump and throwing them away because they were unwanted and unwelcome and they were inconvenient. The church stepped in and went and rescued those infants, those babies, and gave them dignity and preserved their life. The church is that entity that started treating women like human beings rather than uh, chattel. That, was just, that were just owned for recreation and use and for procreation. The church established orphanages. The church established universities and colleges. The church has stepped forward. William Wilberforce, for example. It's Wilberforce that stepped forward and had a debate on the floor of the British Parliament for nearly a quarter of a century where he was arguing that black people are human beings and they should not be treated otherwise. And he finally prevailed. It is the church that has served as the salt to a rotting culture and as light to a dark world over and over again. And we need to celebrate the contributions of the church. And even atheists are starting to recognize this today. When you have a homosexual atheist like Matthew Paris, who writes for the London Times, say that if it weren't for Christian evangelism, his words, Christian evangelism, the African continent would suffer the fate of the machete and genocide. Matthew Paris recognizes the salt and the light of the church. And we need to wave that banner proudly and boldly because we have the answer and we have the solution. That's beautiful. Um, You know, and of course, Jesus tells us that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So we know that to be true. Absolutely. And for 2,000 years, his promise has been kept. For 2,000 years, in in, in, in the face of great adversity, adversity equal to what we face today, and we face it. There, we, we turn on the news and we see that Christians are being treated very poorly. We're hated, we're despised, we're cast aside. They try to trample us underfoot, but Christ's promise proves, us, proves to be true over and over again. The gates of hell do not, cannot, will not prevail against his church because he stands there defending us, and it's the blood of the martyrs, it's the blood of the martyrs perhaps, but nonetheless, the church grows from that seed, from that watering of the blood of the martyrs. The church springs up and does good. Mm-hmm. Ever talk about some of the problems the church is having nowadays, though, in trying to be so relevant, and they become unbiblical in the process. Well, you know, one of the things. Now I'm going to. I'm going to. You're tempting me to go negative. No, no, I'm <laughs> so not. I mean, you don't have to go negative. Well, I, I'll be critical, Cri- constructively critical. Yes. And I was. I was. Um, uh, having dinner with a guy just last night, he's not necessarily an evangelical. Uh, he comes from a mainline denomination. He would not define himself as evangelical. And I said, you know, I am an evangelical, so I ca- I, I've earned the right to be critical of my own. I'm an academic, so I've earned the right to criticize the academy. So one of the difficulties I have with the evangelical church today is that we're more interested in being woke than we are in being right we're more interested in being rela- uh, 
relevant than we are in being real and right and true and eternal and unmovable and unflappable. We want to be popular rather than staying the course Mm -hmm. and being orthodox. And I think the problem with the evangelical church today is that we are perceived as not having a spine, not having courage, not being steadfast and courageous. We're being popular and woke. And I would argue, in fact, I, I tweeted out the other day, woke is a joke. Anytime you find an <laughs> affirming church, if you find an affirming church, run the other way. The church isn't supposed to be about affirmation. The church is supposed to be about transformation, and you don't transform if people just make you feel good and make you feel comfortable in your sin. Yeah. Everett, I don't know who said this, but it goes something like hard preaching produces soft hearts and soft preaching produces hard hearts. Oh, so true, isn't it? No, it is. It's that paradox. Yeah, exactly. one of the things that got me on the radar in your show and other shows is when I wrote my article, you know, this is not a daycare, it's a university. And I was confronting my students saying, you know, if you want me to coddle you rather than confront you, go someplace else. If you want me to make you feel comfortable rather than to challenge your character, you're at the wrong university. I expect you to grow up here. This isn't a daycare. It's a university. And that's what got me on your radar and others, because that challenge of character, that building, iron sharpening iron, let one man sharpen an iron, uh, sharpen another. That has been lost in the church. It's not being preached from the pulpit much anymore. Um, And I think the softness of the body of Christ is evident as a result. Mm -hmm. And I saw this statistic uh, yesterday, and it's been on my mind, and that's this. 51% of Americans say the Bible was written for each person to interpret as he or she chooses. That's terrible preaching. That's terrible teaching. Oh, oh, it's just horrible. The Bible Bible is an inerrant document. It is a document that stands above human opinion. Let me give you this example. When I was a college president, I conducted many commencement ceremonies, and not once did I hand a student a diploma that said they majored in opinions. Not (laughs) once. (laughs) Now, there's a reason for that, because Uh I wanted them to learn what was right and just and real and true. I didn't care what their opinion was on the day they graduated. I wanted them to know something about biology and physiology and chemistry and accounting and economics. I wanted them to know the facts of the discipline that they studied, and if all they got was a opinion out of my university, they wasted their time and their money. Mm-hmm. And if all I'm getting out of the Bible is an opinion, then I'm, I'm reading it with the wrong mindset and the wrong attitude. The Bible isn't a collection of opinions. The Bible is God's inerrant word. It's the truth that has been given to us, revealed to us by God. Now, I love you, Everett. I just love you. Let me ask you this. Uh, when you, uh, obviously, in a world of seven and a half billion people, nobody needs another opinion, do they? I know it's, I, you know, it's stop and think about it. Opinions always lead to bondage and slavery. Pol Pot and Mao and Robespierre and Chavez and Hitler and Mussolini, all the despots of history had opinions, and it didn't end well for millions of people. Opinions lead to death, bondage, and slavery, but Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Truth is the foundation for liberty and liberation. It's truth is the context for classical liberalism. Liberalism used to mean 
liberty. Thus, the liberal arts institution was an education in freedom. But today we sit around and we twiddle our thumbs and we act like a collection of opinions is really all we're supposed to be about in the ivory tower and even in the church. And shame on us. There's no wonder that people are going the other direction and buying a different product, if you will, if that's all the church and if that's all the academy has to offer. Mm -hmm. Dr. Everett Piper is my guest. And just a side note to Mrs. Piper, your husband is brilliant. We're going to take a little break (laughs) and we'll be right back with lots more. Dr. Everett Piper back on the show, former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He was there for 17 years. And Everett, now that you're not there, are you wearing fewer dry clean shirts? <laughs> well, believe it or not, I am sitting in uh, dirty brown jeans and a leather coat that's uh, <laughs> kind of nasty and a ball cap right now because I've been out working on the ranch. Oh, so, fantastic. Sorry for that imagery. Oh, sorry no, that's actually great imagery for me. Let's talk about the solution to cultural chaos. Another great article you wrote for the Washington Times. Well, uh, prime the pump here. What question do you have with regard to that? Well, just the whole idea that if we are going to uh, have a, uh, a a method of countering all the chaos in the world, we need to start doing good. Well, it's it, it's uh, parallel to what we just talked about. Um, if there's what you know, G.K. Chesterton said, the only provable, the only empirically provable part of all of Christian theology is original sin. Stop and think what he meant by that. It, you, it, there's no question that human beings are broken and sinful. And if you think otherwise, then turn on the nightly news. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the fact of opening the newspaper and reading it or listening to the news um, proves that human beings are broken and sinful means something. In fact, I studied under Chuck Colson, and he told us that the first question of every worldview, whether you're Buddhist or whether you're Baptist, whether you're a Muslim or whether you're a Methodist, it doesn't matter what your worldview is. Every one of us answers this question, origin of man and nature of man. Where do we come from and what is our nature? And if we get the answer to those questions wrong, if we get the answer to the question of human identity wrong, then everything else thereafter will crumble. And I would argue the seminal question of our time, the most important question of our time, is the definition of the human being. Because we've dumbed down the definition of what it means to be human to nothing but the sum total of our inclinations. We think our identity is nothing more than what we're inclined to do. And if we're inclined to a given sexual act or sexual appetite, that's who we are. Well, that's absurd. It's an insult. The human being is the amago Dei. We are made in the image of God. We're not defined by our habits, our inclinations, our passions, or our, or our proclivities. We are morally culpable human beings, and we understand that we can rise up and choose not to do some things that we might be inclined to do. That's what makes us human rather than an animal. You're the Omago Day, you're not the Omago Dog. You are defined by the image of God. You aren't defined by your animal instincts, your base appetites and proclivities and passions. Christians can 
rescue humanity from this degradation of mm-hmm. what it means to be a human being and define and elevate and complement the human being by saying, no, we're not an animal. We're actually created with special awareness, the thumbprint of God on our very soul. So, I, I, beautifully stated, by the way, um, just like a former college president would say, um, Let's talk about postmodernity's intolerance or even hatred for Christians, though. I mean, here are some headlines that you talk about. California pastor is arrested for reading his Bible in public. A group of Catholic nuns is prosecuted for refusing to provide abortion-inducing drugs. Yeah. And we yeah. completely um, lost our minds. Yeah, okay, and in, in, the interesting thing is that's the uh, uh, the Catholic Order of the Little Sisters of the Poor out of Denver, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma Wesleyan, while I was the president, actually was a co-litigant with the Little Sisters. I stood on the steps of the Supreme Court with those nuns because we filed a lawsuit against Barack Obama's Health and Human Services just like the Little Sisters did. They said, my land, we're nuns. We're celebrants. We don't need any contraception, my land. Do you know what celibate means? We don't use nor do we want contraception. We don't need it. And by the way, we certainly disagree with abortifacient contraception because we're Catholic. And the government said, too bad. They said, too bad. We're going to insult these women. We're going to insult these women and tell them we know better about what should be in their health care than they do. See, this is where we can win because we can rise up and say, wait a second, we're pro-woman. We believe women are real. They're not leprechauns and unicorns. They're not fabrications of some dysphoric male who wants to raise his hand and play dress up. Women are actually facts. They're biological facts. They're not just fantasies. We will, we will not dishonor a woman by suggesting she's not even real. And, oh, by the way, we believe women should have the right to choose their own health care and not be told by the federal government what drugs they do or don't need. And, by the way, leave the nuns alone. When you find yourself fighting with nuns, you might be on the wrong side of the, of the battle. I mean, this is ridiculous that the federal government pretends to be feminists. You can't be a feminist. Let me say that again. You can't be a feminist if you deny the feminine. You can't be a feminist if you pretend there is no female. We're the ones that are classically feminists. We're the ones that are pro-woman. We're the ones that are classically liberal because we believe in liberty. We believe in freedom. We don't believe in government largesse. We want people to be free because that's the way God made them. We can reclaim the high ground by reclaiming the definition of these words and protecting the dignity of what it means to be a human being. Mm-hmm. Ever last time I talked to you, you were not a movie star. Now you are. So I'd love for you to talk about that. <laughs> Well, if you blink in this movie, you might miss my star, <laughs> uh, starring role. But I am in the movie, No Safe, Safe Spaces. I'll say that again, No Safe Spaces, that has just been put out by Adam Carolla and Dennis Prager. It hit the theaters last week. It's a documentary on the insanity of the Snowflake Rebellion that's sweeping across our college campuses. And because I had my not-a-daycare moment in the sun, they actually included me in that movie, Uh, providing commentary on the loss of academic freedom and the fact that really today's colleges and universities are bastions of ideological fascism more than they are bulwarks of free speech and academic freedom. Um, So, yes, it's, it's a good movie. It's very well produced. And here's the interesting thing. Bill Maher is, everybody knows Bill Maher. He's a debauched atheist. Mm -hmm. His comedy, his comedy is not anything I enjoy. Um, Van Jones was Barack Obama's uh, green czar. Jerry Seinfeld 
Tim Allen, Bill Maher, Van Jones, Adam Carolla, who's an atheist, all agree with Everett Piper, and Everett Piper agrees with them. On what? That we're losing academic freedom, and it's crazy that you can't go on a college campus, tell a joke, or express an idea that somebody considers unpopular or offensive. This is the antithesis of what the ivory tower is supposed to be. These comedians have actually stopped doing comedy routines on these campuses because they don't even want to put up with it anymore. And it's, it, I never thought I'd live to see the day where Bill Maher and Everett Piper and Van Jones would all be saying <laughs> amen to the same thing. Yeah, it, it is. When a conservative speaker goes on to a secular uh, campus, they have to hire all kinds of security, and it gets to the point where it's almost cost prohibitive for them to invite a, a person with a differing opinion onto a college campus. That just seems crazy to me. It is. You got Ben Shapiro, a conservative Jew. You've got Dennis Prager, a conservative Jew. Both of them have been protested on campuses such as Berkeley. And here's the irony. <laughs> the irony is Berkeley promotes itself as being what? The birthplace of free speech. Yeah. But yet Ben Shapiro can't speak freely at Berkeley. But it's also the place it died. <laughs> well, I've got news. It's the Christmas season here. So let's just suggest this. Berkeley, you're not the birthplace of free speech. Bethlehem is because it's in a cradle in a cave in Israel that free speech was born because Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So it's not Berkeley. It's Bethlehem that we should be celebrating right now. Mm -hmm. So Everett, I, I certainly hope and pray for restoration in our, in our world today. I mean, it probably starts with us repenting, right? I, you know, you have to get back to the issue of sin. Are mm -hmm. we sinners or not? If, if you don't believe that you're a sinner, then what is there to repent of? That's so true. And unfortunately, when's the last time in your local evangelical church you, ha you heard a sermon on repentance and confession? Uh -huh. um, unfortunately, I think a lot of people listening right now are probably going to scratch their heads and say, mm, I haven't heard that one for a while. That's a shame. That's a shame because essentially your church doesn't believe in shame any longer. It doesn't believe in confession. It doesn't believe in repentance because it stopped preaching the reality of a broken human being need to, needing to be transformed, born again, made a new creation in Christ because we are sinful. We suffer the consequences of the original sin. And if we water down sin in sermons, uh, if there's not as much sin, there's there's, then there's no need for Jesus. And if there's no need for Jesus, then go to the country club on Sunday. Why in the world would you want to go to a church that's just going to make you feel good about yourself, have a kumbaya moment, a group hug, and like I said earlier on the show, woke is a joke. Right. If all your church has to offer is a celebration of woke, then I would suggest you're going to the wrong church and you're learning the wrong thing. Yeah. So what was your dirty chore on the ranch today? <laughs> well, I've got... Uh, I've got two Pyrenees and two labs that are my best friends, and I've got to cut wood and take care of some things out there. I've got a fishing pond, and my wife has some chickens that we're attending to. So <laughs> nice. that's retired life in Oklahoma. It sounds really nice. Uh, Everett, thank you so much for doing the show, and Merry Christmas to you and your family. Merry Christmas to you. Blessings. Thank you so much. Dr. Everett Piper has been my guest. We're going to take a little break, and then we'll be right back.
I would guess everyone would agree that kids do say not only the funniest things, but the wisest things. And John Gager has written a book about it, and I'm very excited to chat with him today. His book is called Kids Say the Wisest Things. 26 Lessons You Didn't Know Children Could Teach You. He is a hosts several nationally syndicated programs for Moody Radio and is an award-winning narrator of more than 45 audiobooks. So he's got a great set of pipes on top of everything. John, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be with you on Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Ah, isn't that nice? Yeah, it's more fun than you know. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. So how many, uh, you got two kids and seven grandkids, or how many Almost grandkids? Two, two kids and six grandkids, and they're all full of stories, yeah. every one of them. <laughs> and you just, uh, are they your, your primary source of material? You're right, primary source, guilty as charged, but we also, <laughs> we also went to other sources, too. Yeah, so I, I'm sure that all of the wisdom you were getting from the grandkids just spurred you to write the book, so... Uh, let's just start with what kids can teach us, because they got a lot to teach us. You know, and this caught me by surprise. I think everything, Bill, about parenting and grandparenting, I'm just late at, slow at. You know, I, you know, I, I've just been caught by surprise all along. And uh, and and this idea that kids have something to teach us is just one of those concepts. Um, uh, they they really really do when we stay, when we stop take the time to listen and are observant. And I think that's the key. Most of us are so busy. Uh, most of us are just trying to survive as parents or maybe grandparents that we, we overlook the fact that kids do have some, some wisdom. And they can come out with these little gems, these little pearls that you start to wonder, where did that come from? And yeah. it starts with the fact that kids are complete sponges, aren't they? Oh, boy, are they ever. They're, they're watching. They're listening. For example, the other day, three-year-old Sadie greets the exterminator that comes to their home Apparently, mom and dad have referred to the exterminator as the bug man or bug guy. <laughs> yeah. So he comes to the door, walks through, she says, hey, bug man, do you love Jesus? Oh, fantastic. <laughs> well, he kind of blows her off silently, goes downstairs to the basement to go about his work. She's not about to be deterred. And she says, hey, bug man, do you love Jesus? <laughs> well, good for her, you know. Uh, she's planted a seed with that guy. You know, he, he blew her off because I'm sure it was an uncomfortable conversation, but, but she's planted a seed. I say good for three-year-old Sadie. Oh, absolutely. And I promise that is something that's not going to get out of his head very soon. No. How do you escape that? An innocent little child. Do you love Jesus? Man. You know, and John, what is it about kids that have like no back burner whatsoever? Yeah, they, they, uh, if they think it, they say it. And, uh, <laughs> Sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not good. So a lot of times what they say is silly, but sometimes it's it's not just profound, it's terribly profound. And, and as Tony Evans points out, you know, looking at the stories in this book, they you know, they show us something about ourselves and our savior that we can never forget. And I know. Uh, that's just something about kids. Wouldn't we be wise to embrace some of that that I don't have a back burner sort of mentality? I think so. Uh, you know, the way you put it, Bill, it makes a lot of sense. We're we're all about living life as adults. And uh, when, when Jesus said in Matthew 18 in response to the disciples, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, he took a little child and set him in their midst. And uh, that, was, that came from, you know, left field for them. And then he ultimately said, look, uh, uh, whoever humbles himself like this little child, that's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So maybe, maybe that's a, a you know, 2,000 years ago version of, of non-backburner living, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, you did such a great job of telling stories in your book, and you've, you've always got nice um, scriptural references in every story. 
And I, I'd love for you uh, to tell a couple of the stories because they're just so fun. So there we are on a sun, summer afternoon. We've just had a lashing thunderstorm. You know how they are in the summer. They're the best. I uh, love it. And yeah. I'm, with, I'm with Lynette. At the time, she's a six-year-old little kid. She has just received Jesus as her Savior. And one of the things that's instrumental in her journey to Jesus is a book for kids. And in that book, heaven is portrayed with this beautiful sort of watercolor rendering of heaven, bright, white, fluffy clouds. Well, this thunderstorm stops, and, and immediately the sun pops out, and these formerly ominous-looking thunderheads are now gloriously backlit by the sun, and it's like you know, Hollywood special effects. And, and, and Lynette looks out the window at those clouds. She says, hey, Daddy. I said, what? She says, is that where Jesus lives, up in those clouds there? And Bill, she meant those clouds right there. <laughs> I said to her, honey, Jesus lives higher than the highest clouds. And she pauses silently, and there's a smile on her face. And Bill, you know when kids are thinking something. I mean, you can tell it, right? Oh, yeah. This is what's going on. She's definitely cranking away. And she finally says, you know, when you're a Christian, you wonder about Jesus. Oh, John, that is fantastic. I, I thought to myself, Bill... You know, when was the last time I wondered about Jesus? I mean, we go to church and we sing about Jesus. We hear, we hear sermons about Jesus. We pray to Jesus. But when was the last time I wondered about Jesus? And I thought, I think it's been a while. But she's right. When you're a Christian, you wonder about Jesus. Don't we sit around as adults and start to wonder about heaven and start to wonder about glory? And it seems that we need to take some of that wonder and insert it into our heads every day, because I think it, it makes us fall in love over and over and over again. Yeah, I, I think that's well said. Uh, I love the story of, of uh, Jocelyn. She's two years old, and she's with us camping. You know, Bill, they say every couple's supposed to have a shared thing, and for me mm. and my wife, it's, it's camping. I'm not talking about swatting mosquitoes in a sweaty tent. This is a trailer that's air-conditioned, and you push it. <laughs> you, you You're push my kind of guy, John the wall goes out, you know, couch and microwave and stove and, you know, anyway. So uh, we've got Jocelyn with us. She's two years old and we're out at the campfire and she had to use the restroom. She comes out the door of the trailer, which sits about three feet off the ground and walks down the wooden steps, four or five of them. And two-year-olds are pretty steady on their feet, usually. Well, this is one of those non-usual moments. Her feet got tangled up and instead of walking down the stairs, she went tumbling down those stairs. Boom, boom, boom ends up in a heap of dust and gravel and tears and and we're like oh my goodness is she alive is she breathing did she break her neck you know we come running over but before we could even reach her bill she climbs back up those same stairs Hmm. stands at the top wipes the dust out of her eyes and she says through a tear now let's try that again (laughs) (laughs) i kid you not oh that is fantastic but can't you just hear Jesus saying those words to us? You, you, you've taken a tumble. I get it. But let's try that again. You messed up. You've sinned. Hey, let's try that again. Uh, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. Let's try that again. I think that's one thing I would love listeners to Afternoons with Bill Arnold to walk away with today. Let's try that again. I love it. You know, don't you remember uh, when kids are in the little diapers and they're trying to learn how to walk and, and they sort of end up on their butt? The parents <laughs> usually go, 
oh, did you fall down and go boom? (laughs) (laughs) You know, yeah, it's the same thing uh, because they know they're going to get up and try again. Yeah, and we get this idea somehow that God's there displeased and ready to club us or, you know, and, and that's just not true. He's saying, let's try that again. Let's try that again. Mm-hmm. Or uh, another, another spin on that is this. Uh, Lynette is, uh, oh, seven years old. She has uh, done something that's inappropriate, and we thought, now this needs to be a teachable moment. So <laughs> I walked into her bedroom. I said, honey, you know what you did was wrong, and you need to apologize. And when you apologize, you're going to tell me what you did that was wrong. You're going to say, I'm sorry. And then you say, would you please forgive me? That's an apology. All right. So she apologized for what she'd done, and she told me she was sorry, and she asked if I would forgive her. And I I thought through my own answer real carefully, and I said to her, of course I forgive you. I'll always forgive you. And we had a big hug, and it was a nice moment. And three weeks later, don't you know, Bill, it was me that messed up. Mm. And my wife says, you know what? That that was not cool, John. You you, you owe her an apology. What? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, so... So I went into the bedroom with her again. I said, honey, you know what daddy did was wrong. I should not have said that. And that hurt you. I am so sorry. I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? I don't know what I was expecting to come out of her mouth, Bill, but you know what I heard? What? She said, quote, of course I forgive you. I'll always forgive you, daddy. And then she lunged at me with a hug that I've never forgotten. Oh, John, that's just making me well up. Yeah. So yeah. beautiful. I mean, that's kids. I mean, this is why I say kids say the wisest things. Yeah, they really do. And that, that's something that's pretty much imprinted into her now. That, yeah, I, of course, I I'll so. always forgive you. That's part of yeah. her DNA now, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, Bill, how many museums are there in America? Um, that I've been to? One. <laughs> one or two. There are, there are 35,000 museums. Wow. We, we were at one of them in Jacksonville. Yeah, we're down in Jacksonville with with four little grandkids in a museum full of priceless artifacts, which disturbingly were mostly within reach of our four little grandkids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so here we are with these four little kids, and there's this one object that is the special focus of the attention of the docent, and she's explaining the merits of this two foot tall vase, or as your listeners who are much more classier than I know it, a vase. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's pointing out around the perimeter of this vase these uh, mythical creatures that are there. She says, this is the God of love. This is the God of war. This is the God of harvest. This is the God of peace. Well, four-year-old Caleb, he is faith-filled and fearless. He shoots up his hand, says, excuse me, excuse me. And this lady, I think, has been doing her little shtick there for about 189 years. (laughs) Uh She's never been interrupted once till that day. He says, excuse me, but there's only one God. And she says, yes, you'll learn more about this in school. (laughs) I thought to myself, though, Bill, you think about all the vitriol that's being shared on social media these Mm -hmm. days. You think about all of the crudeness, all of the the hate, the venom. Why why, why can't we just, with a nice smile, speak the truth? Speaking the truth in love, as Scripture says. So much mistruth going on about Jesus these days. Why couldn't we be like four-year-old Caleb and say, excuse me? With a nice smile, there's only one God. That's so true. Yeah. All right, John, let me take a little break. Um, John Geiger is my guest. His book is called Kids Say the Wisest Things, 26 Lessons You Didn't Know Children Could Teach You. 
And I just want to say, if Bugman, if you're listening out there, do you know Jesus? Let me take a short break and I'll be right back. Back to the show. I'm glad to be talking to John Geiger. He's a, a nationally syndicated uh, host of many programs for Moody Radio and an award-winning narrator, more than 45 audiobooks. And I'm holding in my hand a book he has written called Kids Say the Wisest Things, 26 Lessons You Didn't Know Children Could Teach You. John, let me ask you this. How do you text the Lord? <laughs> that was the very question that Josie asked me. You know, how, how do you text the Lord? Exactly. I want to know. <laughs> The answer is you don't text the Lord, but you do talk to him by praying, mm-hmm. praying. And unlike texting, Bill, have you noticed this? I, I can't speak for you. Maybe I'm the only all thumbs guy in the afternoons with Bill Arnold audience, but <laughs> I, I'm always getting it wrong. Or I'm a big fan of voice to text stuff and, and it gets the wrong word. Oh my goodness. Some very embarrassing, even inappropriate things I have sent with text unintentionally, but, but we never, we never have that problem when we talk to Jesus in prayer. You know, I mean, you, you don't get that, or you never get the uh, text message not sent. He always hears. The answer in a, in a sentence is, we don't text the Lord, but we do pray to the Lord, and he does hear us every time. And unlike texting, there's never a hiccup, never a miss-up. Uh, he never misunderstands a thing we, says, we say. And uh, so we don't text, but we do pray. Mm-hmm. John, what is it like when you when kids are confronted when they're very young and they're confronted with things like having to say goodbye to grandma or grandpa and you know the the sadness oh. of that and you know they don't really have the words or the understanding to process yet still yeah. I bet there's amazing wisdom that comes out of them. Yeah, you you uh, you lead me to a great story. Timmy was uh, oh let's say uh, ten or eleven uh, at the age when it was no longer cool to be with grandma and grandpa. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, when they're three, being with grandma and grandpa is the greatest thing in the world. But 11, eh, for a guy. So I noticed, though, every time that grandma and grandpa left, he always made it a point to go out there and, and give them a hug goodbye. And he, he, he would say, I love you. And uh, after they left one time, I said to Tim, I said, you know, I think that's really cool the way you, uh, the way you take time and give, give uh, your, your grandma and grandpa a hug. And he says, well, you know, they're not going to be around forever. <laughs> yeah. That's a little, a little blunt, but yeah, he's 11, you know. Yeah. And then he followed up with something I've never forgot. He said, they're not going to be around forever. That's why I always give a good goodbye. That kind of lodged in my brain. And I, I, you got to fast forward maybe 15 years later, uh, a summer ago, I stood in the hospital at the bedside of my own mom, who we knew was not going to be with us much longer. The final night that she was alive, we didn't know at the time, uh, I'm there, and and mom is no longer responsive. But I thought, you know, sometimes in a coma they hear you. So I quoted to her Psalm 91. And and I, I was reminded of this conversation I'd had with Tim. I always say a good goodbye. So it prompted me to pray with her prompted me to tell her I love her, prompted me to kiss her on the forehead. Mm. 
And the next morning at about 5, we get this awful text. Guys, there's no easy way to say this. And we knew, you know, mom was gone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I, you know, I'm not so so arrogant as to say there there aren't things I wouldn't do differently with my mom as a kid and as a grown kid. But I do know this. I, I do not regret the last goodbye. And the only reason it's a good goodbye, I owe it to a little kid, my own son, who taught me that's why I always give a good goodbye. That's very sweet, John. It just went on just that way. Mm-hmm. You know, if you sometimes think of children uh, born into this world, they're always perceived as such, you know, beautiful, sinless creatures until you put one toy between a couple of two-year-olds. <laughs> you realize there is a sin nature in there somewhere. Yeah, um, so, yeah, that, that calls to mind a story. Uh, Jocelyn is uh, is is uh, five, and her little brother's two, and uh, they both want the same toy, and she's sophisticated enough to sort of gently, slowly wiggle it out of his fingers to, at, at such a nice, slow rate, he doesn't even know he's being relieved of his toy until it's too late. <laughs> and then he screams bloody murder, and, and uh, his mom says, uh, hey, what's going on? And, and she could see Jocelyn kind of hiding stuff. She says, Jocelyn, did you take his toy? She says, oh, no, no. I was just loosening it from his fingers. <laughs> Well, you know, you think about it, that kind of that kind of stretching and bending of human language, isn't that what we have been about as a human race for thousands of years? You know, Adam, did you eat from the uh, forbidden tree? Well, no, the, the the woman that you gave me, uh, you know, but but forget Adam and Eve. Do we do that? You know, are are we loosening things from God's fingers? Um, you know, we we get it. We get a prompting to to, to uh, take time and go visit somebody. Nah, I'm too busy. Have we loosened something that belongs to God? You know, we're prompted to give a, an extra gift at Christmas or some other time in the offering, and we think about it a moment, and then we, nah. Are we loosening something that belongs to God, loosening it from his fingers? I think it's a fair question, if not a sobering one. Mm-hmm, for sure. Talk about the sparks that light the world. Well, Awana is a wonderful Bible memorization program. Mm-hmm. It's fun. They have games and all that. I was raised in it. We took our kids there, and now our grandkids are there. And uh, Jocelyn is attempting to uh, run through her Bible memory verse with her little brother Caleb and so on. And and uh, he's just a little fella. You know, he's not even quite two. And so she's going over the, the theme song. Caleb, who are we? He's Sparks. That's right, Sparks. <laughs> for 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 who? Jesus, that's right. Good job. What for, Caleb? What for? And he walks away, and she yells right into his face, "Caleb, to light the world!" <laughs> like a drill sergeant. But, uh, but how good it would be if we really had that firm a grasp on our mission. Who are we? Jesus said, "You're the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Not when you're having a good day, but today, every day. The only question is, what kind of a light are you? How bright are you shining?" Sparks to light the world, that's you, that's me, that's all of us. The question is, how bright is that light going to shine? Mm-hmm. John, I would hope that every person listening would say, oh, yeah, I've got uh, two or three or four stories of wisdom I encountered talking to a child. And you've got yeah. them in your hip pocket ready to share those stories because 
there's there's nothing quite as powerful as as the raw candidness of a child telling the truth. Absolutely, Bill. And they get away with stuff that we can't. Absolutely. Uh, they can say it in ways we can't and with a power that we can't as adults. I agree. And so when you uh, talk about uh, prayer with kids, um, what, what have you learned talking about prayer? They believe that prayer request is going to be answered with a faith that often puts mine to shame. Um, but they're human, too. We're, we're praying with Josie about the cat named Houdini, who my <laughs> wife and I know, uh, know to be dead because we had to put the thing to sleep. Mm-hmm. And, and she always comes to visit expecting to see Houdini anyway. We've tried to soften it. You know, where is Houdini? She says, well, Houdini's not here now. Mm-hmm. Well, where is he? Is he on vacation? <laughs> uh-huh. uh, no. He, so I, I finally said, you know, so she's praying at dinner time. Dear Jesus, help Houdini to come back. But I don't think he can. Oh, <laughs> so I think that was her version of Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. But uh, they, they, they have a way of praying with a freshness, a vitality, an honesty, and a humility that I think Jesus finds welcoming. And the rest of us, me especially, need to learn from. Mm-hmm. I know this is a big chunk of wisdom, John, but I know the book closes with let go and see what new thing he is going to do in your life. What would you like to let go of today? That's a big one. Yeah, for me, it's anxiety. It's a, it's a, it's a besetting sin. And uh, I just confess it to you right now. It's, it's something that nips at my heels. But, uh, and and I, I love the, you know, again, kids are good at this too. You know, they, they trust. They trust a whole lot better than we do. No wonder Jesus said, unless you, you know, whoever humbles himself like this little child, that's the greatest one in the kingdom of heaven. You know, the one of the most popular verses searched in 2019 was "Don't worry." Uh, so that that rises to the top for so many people. That must be a a concern that uh, is plaguing people a lot nowadays. I think so. Uh, you know, a footnote to the other story I told about when my mom died. That night, we had one of our grandkids with us, and I was having trouble sleeping, and I suppose worrying about all of that. Do you know, in the middle of the night, little three-year-old Lucy? Was, was somehow awake, and she sensed I was awake, and she brushed my face with her little soft hand. It was the okay, kindest— now, now you're killing me. That was the kindest gift that I could have been given, a little three-year-old stroking my face. Mm. You know, she knew. She knew that Grandma was gone. That wasn't wasted on her. Kids perceive an awful lot more than we give them credit for. And uh, and yet she, she, she was the big she was the adult in that situation comforting me. Wow, that's usually what happens um, when God allows and orchestrates and sends these little ministering spirits to you in your times of need. Yeah, yeah I love that little ministering spirits. You've said it well. And kids so often are just that and even more. Yeah, because they're they're they're, they're aware, but they're not. Um, mm-hmm. They're responding in the purest way they know how. Yeah. Yeah, and you use the word pure. Jesus, what did he say? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Boy, that's kids. Yeah, it really is. John, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate the stories and the encouragement, and thank you for uh, writing the book and spending time with me today. It's an honor to be on Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Thank you. I've never had a guest say that as many times as you, so I really appreciate that. Well, maybe I've never had as much fun as hanging out. So oh, that's thank really you. nice. John yeah. Gager has been my guest. His book is Kids Say the Wisest Things, 26 Lessons You Didn't Know Children Could Teach You. John Gager, G-A-U-G-E-R. We'll take a short break, and we'll be back with lots more.
Hi, I'm Ted Ross with the Faith in Life Minute. John Fuller is vice president at Focus on the Family and a radio host there. And here he shares an interesting observation about parenting while trying to pursue a career. It seems that about the time a new baby comes along or a first, first baby is when a guy's career starts to be more intense. He has more opportunities. He's starting to kind of prove his worth. He's, he's putting in the time. He's got a chance to climb up the ladder or take on further responsibilities. So everything is pulling him away from the home at a time when the child is saying, me, spend time with me, play with me. Show me what life is all about. Train me. And and so we miss that. And I think if there's any benefit to having six, I sort of feel like on the sixth one, I'm getting it right finally. So I'm full of regrets about what could have been and what should have been. But I will tell you that if you'll lean into the, the moment and just say today, here's something I can do today. More from John Fuller can be heard at MyFaithRadio.com. That wraps up our show for the day. Thank you so much for listening and being with us today. Um, just I love you, and I, I love that you support and listen to Faith Radio. As you lay your head on the pillow tonight, just know that God's working out his great plan in your life. God bless. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.